So we have a change in the scripture reading this morning. It will not be Luke, but rather it will be Job, chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God and Father, as we turn now to your word, may our hearts be attentive. Uh, May you meet with us and uh, just nurture and grow us, even though we are sinful and struggling people. Be with me, though I am a sinful and struggling man, as I seek to proclaim your word through Christ Jesus. Amen. So yeah, I called an audible on like Friday, and so I apologize to everyone for having it wrong in the bulletin. But um, here's the deal. So, so the plan was to do one more sermon from the Gospel of Luke, and then uh, as I'm getting ready to transition here in July to spend have a five-week sermon series just kind of on some final encouragements and exhortations. Um, but as I sat with that last sermon from Luke, I also this week found myself just reflecting a lot of other things. This was a particularly hard week. I know some of you I've had conversations with. Uh, It would have been Elizabeth, my late wife's, and I anniversary. On Tuesday, I found myself just processing a lot of grief, and I had several conversations with people coming out of that, too, over this last week that made me think about um, that stuff a lot and made me reflect. So a couple months ago, I had the chance at a different church to speak on suffering and doubt, kind of coming out of our story, but they were actually spending some a sermon series on doubt, and so suffering and doubt, which I thought was kind of great, because if there's two topics that churches do not talk about when they should, and when they do talk about them, don't do a great job of talking about them, it's probably suffering and doubt, and while I have endeavored over the years to talk about suffering, I don't know that I've spent a lot of time talking about doubt and struggles with doubt that people have. And so as I sat with that for them, I actually found it really helpful to my own heart. And then as I was sitting again thinking about suffering and had several conversations with people expressing struggles with doubt, I thought I'd maybe just spend some time this morning sharing some of those same reflections with you guys. And so here's what... I want to do. Um, part of the reason I think churches do a really bad about bad job, and pastors do a bad job of talking about both those topics, is because they tend to talk about them from the outside. They try to talk about them kind of at a distance in the abstract. So, like when you talk about suffering from the outside, it's sort of this thing that some people out there sometimes experience, and because of that almost inevitably those sermons end up just being an attempt to fix suffering, right? To just kind of say, well, here's here's how you solve it. Either practically, here's how you solve it, or emotionally. I hate those, like, three steps back to joy kind of, you know, kind of sermon titles when you're like, yeah, because it's it's, it's that simple, right? That's, That's looking at it from the outside rather than from the inside where we're really wrestling.
wrestling and feeling the weight and the pain of suffering. And the same thing happens a lot of times when Christians and pastors talk about doubt, if they do at all, which is to say that they talk about it as this thing that sometimes some people experience. And again, as a result, they just want to fix it. They want to kind of rush through it and give you the answers right away and resolve all of your doubts for you. And I get that impulse because it is true that there are answers in Scripture that can help speak to some of our struggles with doubt, right? God's sovereignty and the fact that we can't peer into his decrees and the resurrection and life everlasting, and there's all of that there. But the reality is that from the inside, those are not really that helpful because there's this journey that you kind of have to go on, this process you have to work through with God as you wrestle with doubt. And so you can't fix suffering. There's no sermon that can just deliver you from your suffering. And I don't think you can just fix doubt. There's no sermon I could preach that would just make you go, oh, don't have any struggles with that anymore. Just a note about that, actually, because I feel like that second category is hard for us. Doubt, when we talk about it as Christians, I don't... I kind of, there's these times that there's these words that can mean multiple different things and that gets us in trouble. And so the problem is there is a sort of doubt that, so Christians feel like doubt is sinful, right? That's the problem. We feel like it's wrong to have doubts. And the problem with that is there is a sort of doubt in scripture that is seen as sinful. When you know God and understand him and are sure that, you know, that he's there, but you nonetheless choose to trust him and turn to idols instead which is what places like James, when it talks about how you should not doubt, that kind of doubt is sinful. But there's another kind of doubt, the uncertainty, the the feeling like you don't know, the wrestling with what's true about God, that scripture actually nowhere condemns, and in fact encourages and meets people in the midst of. And so just to clarify that, that's what I'm talking about here. But suffering and doubt are things that I want to talk about from the inside. I want to talk about what the journey is actually like through them. And because of that, I'm just going to warn up front, because some of you are going to hate this. Um, I'm intentionally not going to give you the answers (laughs) this morning in the sense of say, well, and here is the the solution to your doubts. But instead, what I want to do is kind of give you the terrain of what that journey looks like. Because both of those things are things that I feel like I've had some experience of over the last five years, suffering and wrestling with doubt. So I just want to try to name kind of the landmarks and the potential pitfalls of that. And we're going to use the story of Job to do that a little bit and some other scriptures. But the way I want to do that is just basically give you two categories, first of all, to think about doubt. Which is doubting our beliefs and doubting our faith. Doubting our beliefs and doubting our faith. And so first, our beliefs. See, those two things are connected. What I believe about God drives my faith in him, and my faith in God draws me to believe things about him. But it's important to separate them because you can doubt and change things that you believe about God without changing your faith in God. Faith is trust in a relationship. I mean, that's what it means in the world, and that's what it means in Scripture. That If you have faith in something, what that means is that you have a relationship with someone in which you trust them. And beliefs are things that you think about that person that you have a relationship with. And so even at a human level, you can change beliefs and still have a relationship with someone in which you trust them. I mean, some beliefs, that's kind of easy, right? I might, like, think that, you know, that Brett has great taste in music, and then then he he plays me some music, and I think, well, okay, I don't, you know, (laughs) 
Sorry, sorry, brother, but you're in the front row, so. Um, <laughs> but no, um, you know, I can, I can change those beliefs. And even beliefs that are closer to the core of faith, while it's harder, you can actually see change and still arrive at a place of trusting relationship. And the best example I know of that is kids. When you have little kids, unless you have a really broken relationship, your kids have faith in you. They trust you. And the reason they trust you is because they think that you know everything and you can do anything. <laughs> like that, That's why they have trust in you. And as they get older, part of the hard process of kids getting older is realizing that that's not true. And that, in fact, my kids aren't here this service, so it's easy for me to say this. Right? You don't know everything, and you can't do everything. But if you have a healthy relationship with kids, they, they still will arrive at a place where they trust you, even though they recognize that those beliefs they had as little children are not true. Suffering in the Christian life often causes us to wrestle with beliefs that we have about God. They expose things that we think about God and cause us to wrestle with whether those things are true. And that is absolutely what happened with Job. Uh, I know we read the very end of Job, and I'm totally cheating again. This is not a one of my normal just follow along in the text. I'm really preaching like the book of Job here. But, but so in the book of Job... He's this righteous man, and terrible things happen to him, and he doesn't deserve them to happen. He loses his livestock and crops and livelihood, and then he loses his home, and then he loses his children. And he's left of this place, in this place of devastation. And as you read the book of Job, what you realize is that Job has a lot of beliefs about God. He believes a lot of things about God, and some of those beliefs are good, some of those beliefs are wrong, and actually change, but, be through, but throughout the book of Job, his faith remains intact. For Job, the beliefs that get changed are he seems to think that God will always make sense, that you can kind of watch God's actions in the world and draw straight lines and, you know, make sense of it, and also that you can sit down and talk with God and persuade him of things. But even as those beliefs are challenged, he still trusts God. And I know of no more beautiful proclamation of that than Job thirteen fifteen, which I love this verse. But this is like, so, it's, so Job says this. He says, though God slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. <laughs> and so you have this incredible proclamation of faith, right? Like one of the most powerful, like even if God kills me, I will still trust in him. But we're going to have words. I want to I argue with him and make my case to him because he's not acting the way that I thought. So there's great faith there and doubt. And the book proceeds, and there's a bunch of stuff we're going to skip over with some friends that are lousy friends and stuff. But then at the end of the book, God comes to Job and appears to him. And he doesn't answer all of Job's questions. But what he does is he actually challenges those wrong beliefs. He says to Job, you have misunderstood who I am, that I am a being that won't always make sense to you and won't, and you can't just sit down and change my mind. Job is confronted by the reality about God and his beliefs are changed. So in his final prayer, he says, as we heard, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And so in the book of Job, Job suffers this stuff, and Job wrestles with and doubts God, and then Job encounters God, and at the ending of the book, he actually has a clearer understanding of who God is. 
And that's actually the point of the book of Job. Because if you take it as a story, it doesn't make sense. Because Job has all this stuff, and he loses it. But by the end of the book, it's all res- he, he gets, you know, new crops and new house and has more children. And so you're kind of wondering, well, what was the point of all of that suffering, right? And the point was not something about his circumstances. But the point was that while Job's situation is restored, Job is actually a changed person at the end of the book. And he has an understanding of God that is deeper and harder and truer than the Job that started things. God is, in some ways, different for me in my experience of him than he was six years ago and 11 years ago, which would have been before the points where I kind of experienced significant hard things in life. It's the same God, but I feel like I know him in a deeper and harder and truer way. And to name that and how that works, I want to actually explain that when I say that we doubt our beliefs about God, there's actually two things that can happen in that process. One of the things is that we can come away with beliefs that are actually strengthened at the end of that process of doubting. That we believe them more after we doubt them, or maybe even realize that we hadn't believed them before we doubted them. I remember... The night that Rebecca, our oldest, was born. Uh, She was born at 26 weeks, super early. It was very unexpected. And and for the first couple weeks especially, it was very unclear whether she would live or not. And you could, like, see her heartbeat through her chest, and she would just stop breathing. Her heart would stop beating, and you'd have to, like, shake her back to life. And, man, as a a new parent um, in her 20s, like, it was just, we were wrecked, right? And I remember it was... She was born that night, and the next night, it was the middle of the night, and I was um, completely exhausted, hadn't slept, and was wrestling deeply, and just had to, like, get out, so I was going to go, like, I don't know, buy a soda or something at a gas station, and got out to my car in the parking lot, and it was raining, um, and I had forgotten my keys in the room, but I just sat on the hood of my car, you know, just in the, the emergency room lights, kind of blurring in the rain, and just sat with God. I remember just at the end of myself feeling these deep doubts and wrestlings with him, um, saying, saying, I mean, the, the prayer I prayed was like, God, you are going to do what you want, and I know I can't stop you, but I will fight you every step of the way if you try to take her from me. And, and I sat in this place, and, um, and God spoke back, and I'm not an audible voice of God guy, but this is one of the few closest times to that. I remember in that moment, and just said to my heart, what you're going to have to come to understand in this area is that that love that you feel for your daughter is the kind of love that I have for you. And what I came to recognize in that, it's not like I got it in this moment, right? It was years of kind of processing and counseling and things. But in many ways, that season with Rebecca was a season in which I deeply doubted God's love. Um, I've never had a problem with the idea that God is in control of things, but this, you know, does he, does he love me, right? Um, I mean, still, that's a thing I sometimes wrestle with. But, but I went through this season of deeply wrestling with and doubting that. And what that season made me realize was that I didn't actually believe it. And that it was actually through that process of wrestling and doubting that I came to a point where I started to believe and understand that God loved me. I say that... that, that sometimes beliefs... or sometimes doubt will actually cause us to grow to strengthen beliefs... Primarily because if you're in a place of doubt, one of the things I would encourage you to do 
is not move too quickly from doubting something, doubting a belief, to, to rejecting it. I think especially because the church tells people that it's sinful to wrestle with doubts, what happens a lot of times is people feel a doubt, and it's like the next day. They decide that, oh yeah, since I'm feeling doubt about this thing, I must not believe it anymore. And maybe we also do it because, man, feeling, sitting in a place of doubt is uncomfortable, and it is tempting to just kind of get that resolution. But it's just not the way to actually live in it. Like, that's true intellectually, and that's true personally. I mean, even just intellectually, I have had those conversations with people where it's like, Pastor, I saw a thing on the History Channel last night, and I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. And you just want to be like, slow down. <laughs> like, like we, can, we can talk about that, right? It's, it's not bad that you saw something and you're wrestling with some doubts, but like, man, like, take some time to sit with it and wrestle and, and think and, yeah, spend time with those doubts because it is entirely possible and, in fact, even common to wrestle and doubt certain things you believe about God and come to a place where you actually believe those things in a deeper way. But, of course, at the same time, you will also doubt some beliefs you had about God and realize that they were wrong. That is part of the process of doubt, too, that you will change your mind about beliefs you had. And in suffering, because in many ways I'm reflecting from that particular place, one of those biggest beliefs that we have talked about here before, but I'm just going to name again because I'm going to try to kill it as much as I can, is that deep belief many of us have that because we know God or obey God or trust in him, that we will not have to suffer or that we at least won't have to suffer very much or for very long. There's the extreme of that, of course, in the, you know, those prosperity guys on TV where Jesus is going to give you a yacht. But it's really deep in our guts. It's the therapeutic idea that because God loves us, therefore he wants us to have an easy, happy life. It is the moral idea that bad things happen to bad people and that if you're a good person, somehow it's less likely that bad things will happen to you. It's, it's the way sometimes we talk about obedience, trying to, um, trying to encourage obedience through telling people that they're going to get nice things out of it. Like, like, I remember as a teenager, people would talk to me about, about sex, and really it was just like, look, you're going to have a happy marriage as long as you, you know, as long as you follow these rules before you get married, which doesn't always work that way for people. It's, it's true of the world, right? I mean, we as Christians think this way because we live in a culture that says that if you just have, like, enough gumption and enough hard work and you're enough of a self-starter, that blessings are going to come to you. All of those feed into that same root lie that if you do certain things, God is going to spare you from suffering. I would have people, lots of people would say, Things to me in the process of walking through stuff with Elizabeth, and I always endeavored to be understanding of the different ways that people would express it, because I know it's hard to know what to say. But one of the things I heard a couple of times that was always hard for me is people would say, like, I just can't believe something like this is happening to you guys, to people like you guys. And I always wanted to just say, like, do we live in the same world? Like, terrible things happen to, to relatively good people all of the time. And, I mean, and even, do we read the same scripture where Jesus got murdered, right? And Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trials of all kinds when they come upon you as if something unusual is happening to you. Many people 
in suffering especially wrestle with doubting God when what they're really doubting is that lie, that, um, that God wants them to have an easy, happy life. And that is a belief that needs to change, that deserves to be doubted and changed. One of the things I am most grateful for in my life is that while I think I inherited some of that growing up in the church, and so did Elizabeth, that in our formative years, we were in places where people really sought over and over to kill that lie, and so I'm grateful that that wasn't a thing that afflicted us. But there are other beliefs that I found myself uh, wrestling with and changing over the course of suffering as well. Some of my own sense that I could understand what God is doing. And maybe especially for me, I think that I used to believe that having the right answers could really like fix things for people <laughs> emotionally. And boy, I feel like that, that's something that I doubted and have realized was wrong. But yeah, there will be times that you will doubt beliefs about God and you will change those beliefs. But the thing I want you to hear about that is that that is still actually okay. As long as you're seeking to know what is true about God and growing to understand him better, that's actually a good thing. It, um, it's part of how suffering purifies us, because we come to know God better through it. And I just really want to say to you that that process, because it could turn out either way, right? You could come to believe the thing more, or you could come to really doubt and reject the thing That actually um, means that when we wrestle with doubt, we need to just name to ourselves that we don't know which way it's going to turn out. That's really important to do. It's important for you to do, to not assume, but rather to just kind of be open to seeking what's true about God. And it is why we as Christians really need to provide space for people who are wrestling with those doubts. Often in the community of the church, what happens is that when someone expresses a doubt or struggle they have to us, we want to we fix it, right? We want to kind of shut it down, give them the answers, have them just be done with their wrestling. And the problem with that is that we're assuming that that doubt is going to lead them to reject that belief. And, and one, maybe they need to reject that belief if it's wrong. But two, we miss the fact that that doubt may well actually bring them to a place where they believe it more deeply. One of the reasons I think that we at times within evangelicalism have people with really shallow faiths is because we never give them a community that will love and support them as they wrestle with doubts and struggles in that faith. So doubting our beliefs. It's hard, and I'd encourage you to walk in that and walk with others in that, but it is often an important part of growing in faith in Jesus. But of course, that doesn't name the other kind of doubt, the doubting of our faith itself, right? What happens when it's not just some belief about God that we're doubting, but really it's that relationship of trust itself that feels like it's under attack that we don't know if we have anymore. And by doubting our faith, I don't mean doubting, like, questioning whether God exists. That's, that's like doubting a belief, right? That kind of intellectual thing. I mean something deeper and more personal. One of the things that I think is a big disservice when Christians talk about doubt is that they focus almost exclusively on intellectual ideas and on questions that kind of mental questions that you have if you go read books that are speaking to doubters they're almost always about intellectual questions and again that's not wrong that's all good and useful in terms of those beliefs but in my experience of doubt and in my experience with others who doubt often especially in those deepest moments of doubting your faith it's really an emotional doubt and a relational doubt that's happening, not just an intellectual doubt. Here's what I mean. In the moments where I felt 
like I doubted God most deeply. It was not because I had questions. I sometimes had questions in the process of suffering, but I mean, honestly, you know, I went to seminary and read lots of books that I know kind of the right answers to those things. But what I was feeling in those moments was a sort of distance and uncertainty in God because I was angry with God, and I was angry with God because I felt hurt by God. And, and this is the part that if you're in that place of deep doubt, I so want you to hear, and some of you who aren't are going to wrestle with, but we'll talk about it. I felt hurt by God in those moments because God had worked in the world in ways that hurt me. A lot of Christians recoil from that. They so want to immediately jump in and say, no, God's not involved. Like, you know, like you, you can't, you know, God wouldn't ever do something that hurts you. And that actually is just so unhealthy, I think, for our wrestling with God. I mean, I remember, again, someone saying to me, and again, I want to be understanding, but someone said to us, to me, she said, um, man, I know that God just has nothing to do with Elizabeth having cancer. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like that he doesn't number our days? That he's not in control of our bodies? That, that he can't heal? Be, I mean, you know, even if you just believe that, you're left with that reality that God is choosing to work providentially in a way that was hurtful. God hates evil and will destroy it in the end, but in this age, in his mysterious and hard providence, God often works in ways that are painful for us to experience. In his mysterious hard providence, God took my wife, and I feel the hurt of that. And I say that because if you're in a place of hurt, don't let people rob you of the ability to feel that. Because it's biblical to feel that way. Job says it. His friends actually try to do exactly that. They try to say, oh, you know, God wouldn't do something that's hurtful to you. And in Job 12, he says, Who among all these, talking about all of creation, does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. The Bible is actually jarringly honest and direct about addressing our hurts to God. It happens in a lot of places. Let me just read you one uh, from Lamentations chapter 3. The book of Lamentations is really all of this. In the middle, there's this beautiful proclamation of hope, and it's great. But the rest of it is, uh, it's written by the prophet Jeremiah after Jerusalem has been burned to the ground and sacked, and he's watched people he loved being slaughtered in the streets and dragged off into slavery. And God's prophet, inspired by God, gives this prayer to God, um, expressing his hurt. Let me just read you from Lamentations 3. This is, you know, this is speaking to God, right? Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Again, God, surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Skip down a little. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. And there's like a third of it. <laughs> like he just 
from his heart in the most gut-wrenching language expresses this woundedness he feels by God as God's prophet, right, inspired by God in the scriptures. Here's why I say that, if you're in that place of deep hurt. First, because I just want to ask you, as you're honest about how you're feeling, if we can be real about that. Be real about the fact that often what we're wrestling with is not ideas about God, but what we're wrestling with in our doubt is a relational woundedness and struggle that we have with God. Because if we don't admit that, often we don't end up speaking to the things that really need to be spoken to in our hearts. I mean, I remember having this friend, this conversation with this friend I knew, who he had had some rough stuff happen over the last year or two. His kind of career had fallen apart, and he was in a hard place. But he texted me. He's like, you know, can we get coffee and talk about it? I want to talk about something with you. And we sit down. And he's like, so I, I read this book by Bart Ehrman about the reliability of New Testament manuscripts, and I don't think that I believe the Bible anymore. And we talked about it for a few minutes. But I remember as we talked, I just, in his eyes, saw this deep pain, right? And I finally just stopped and was like, brother, like, we can talk about Bart Ehrman's book if you want to. We can keep talking about that. But don't you feel bitter with God? Like, don't you feel angry with God? Because I feel like that's what's going on in your heart. And if all we talk about is, like, third-century Roman scribal transmission practices, like, we're not actually going to be speaking to the reasons that you're struggling with your faith in this moment. And also, while I'm just asking us to be real, this is also why we as Christians need to be sure that we allow space for people wrestling with even deep doubt. Because if trying to fix people's doubts about belief can be unhelpful and can keep them from growing— Trying to fix, with the right answers, this kind of doubt of faith is actually going to be destructive to them. Because what they need to hear in that moment is not that everything happens for a reason, and it's not that you're going to see the person you lost again someday, and it's not that everything is going to work out for good. Look, I have, I have walked through those places. There's at least some form of those statements that are deeply true, and I believe and find comfort in in this kind of stage. But especially in those deep points of doubt, that's not helpful to you. That just makes you angrier at God. So we need to just allow space for that, too. That said, if you're in that deep place of hurt, what, what do you do? Let me give you two thoughts. First of all, what I would encourage you to do is to wrestle with God. To wrestle with God. You know what the, the name Israel means in Scripture? It means wrestles with God. It's Jacob, right, in this dark night of the soul— meets with this being who is actually God, and he wrestles with him all night, and he comes away from that place with a blessing and with a limp and with a new name that becomes the name for God's people. What do you think it means that, like, that's what God names his people in the Old Testament, is those who wrestle with God? What does that mean? Well, wrestling with God has two parts. First of all, it means simply taking that hurt and bringing it into the presence of God. So often what we're tempted to do, and in some ways what we're even told to do by the church if we're made to feel like that's sinful, is that we withdraw from God in our hurt, and we try to, like, stay away from him because we feel hurt. But part of it is just bringing it into God's presence. And for Job, that's actually the thing that brings him healing. 
God comes and he meets with God, and his situation, or his, his doubts are never answered. His questions are never answered, but because he's been in the presence with God, he says in Job 42, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And that itself is a big part of the solution. So bring it into God's presence. But more than that, it's, it is so easy when we are hurt to just say, you know what, forget about this. I'm just going to walk away from you, God. And if, if you're in that place of hurt, what I would encourage you to just grapple with, to challenge you with, is simply to say, look, friend, I understand why you feel like you want to do that when you're angry and when you're hurt. But there is no hope in that, right? I mean, you, will, you are walking away from the only source of hope of life and of redemption, and of seeing any beauty blossom in those ashes that there is in the universe. And so while I moment that there's this moment of, like, catharsis, maybe, when you kind of, you know, give God the finger and storm off in the other direction, there is no hope for healing and restoration in that. Instead, wrestling with God means coming to God with that pain and saying, I am not letting go of you until we work through this. I won't release you until you bless me. I'm going to push against you and press into you and feel you pushing back against me and stay in that place. I'm going to stay there with the hurt and the anger and the pain until I find myself on the far side of that. And that sort of wrestling is hard. But there is also the incredible potential for beauty in it. And it's there in that story of Jacob, right? Like the crazy thing about that story is that Jacob spends the night wrestling with God, and from another perspective, he spends the night with God's arms, you know, wrapped around him, right? With his chest somehow, or his head somehow pressed against the chest of the creator of the universe. That is a place of pain and intimacy with God. So wrestle with God if you're in that place of doubting your faith. And then the only other encouragement I would give you is to make sure that the God that you're wrestling with is Jesus. Make sure that the God you're wrestling with is Jesus. And this is as close to an answer as I'm going to offer today, and it's not the sort of answer that's meant to shut down your doubt. But I remember a few years ago, I do every semester I would do a question and answer time with the youth group. Jordan would have me come do. That was just open questions, and we had some great conversations. And I remember a few years ago talking with someone, I mean a teenager after that, who had had some really profound suffering in their life. But I remember they said to me, no, pastor, you got to understand, I am not angry at Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm angry at God. And here's the thing. I understand that that's theologically, right? We all, we were like, well, theologically, that's wrong. But that is so true of what we do in our experience of wrestling with God. <clears throat> An essential part of wrestling with God is recognizing that the person we're talking about in that is Jesus. Scripture does not offer a, a solution to the suffering in our lives, and it doesn't even try to deny that God, in a real sense, works in painful ways in the world. But what it does is, next to that, it also places Jesus. Not as an answer—yes, I mean, there's the resurrection and new creation and stuff, but in this moment where you're feeling pain, there is no, like, answer to take that away. But what it does is it says that God himself also entered into that story of suffering— and he himself suffered by his sovereign hand. He worked in such a way that he himself experienced his own mysterious hard providence. And he suffered, and he died, 
beside us as one of us. He suffered and he died in a mysterious sense for us. And so we as Christians, when we say, like, who do you picture when you talk about God, right? Like, what's, what picture is in your head? Like, the first picture we as Christians are supposed to have is of Jesus hanging on that cross, right? Jesus battered and broken as a human being, I mean, gurgling out his last breaths, saying, my God, my God, why have we, you forsaken me? That that is the God that we wrestle with. The arms that are wrapped around us are scarred by those nails, that the side that we press against was pierced for us. We want our suffering to be resolved and fixed. As much as it's not helpful when people fix it at root, that's what we want, right? It's for God to just come and fix it for us. But Scripture simply responds to that by saying that, yes, this world is hard, terrible things will happen, and you will at times feel wounded by God. But also, God is unavoidably good. That's true in creation and in all kinds of other ways, but most of all, that is, he is unavoidably good in Jesus. That he meets us and suffers beside us and suffers for us. And so while you will look at the world and move through the world and wrestle and doubt at times, you also cannot look at the cross and easily dismiss God. Not with the scars of love that he bears. And at the end of it, here is what I have found as I have walked in that place. That I don't have all the answers for you, and I don't know that they would be helpful if I gave them. I probably can give you some answers to some of your doubts about belief, but I don't know how much that will help. And there are no answers that anyone can give to those doubts of faith and those wrestlings with God. But the thing I have continued to find most of all, and find more and more deeply over these years, is Jesus. The beauty of the good news of what he has suffered for me, and the power of his presence as the suffering one in the midst of my suffering. And that has not made it easy, and that has not fixed everything, but that has been enough. So what I want to suggest this morning, if you're in that place of doubt, is that maybe that is enough. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us in our hurt and in our doubt. I know that you meet us, Lord, and you draw near to us even when we don't feel it, even when we feel far away. And I pray for all of us, but especially for those who are wrestling with doubts and pain this morning, that you would communicate that loving presence in Jesus Christ to them. I pray also for the rest of us, even if we're not in those places today, that we might provide a community of love and support, that we might be Jesus to people who suffer and who doubt. And I pray most of all that you would work in our hearts to draw us to, through those places, that we might forever and always be growing to know you more and more deeply and more and more truly, even when it's hard. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who came as one of us and suffered beside and for us. Amen.